Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lake Learns Together podcast. I'm Jake Broadway, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lainey Obando, the Director of Professional Learning at Lake County Schools. Hey, Lainey, how are you? Hi, Jake. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And today we are glad to have Rob Feltner, the Executive Director of Region 1, here with us. Welcome, Rob. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. So this is the second episode of a series of seven that we're doing on PLC shifts, which are the ways that we need to orient our thinking as we continuously look to grow in our capacity as a professional learning community. So we're so happy to have you here today because our topic focuses on the shifts we need to consider around our use of assessment, which is closely tied to the professional development you give on grading practices. So you're a great resource for this one. Fantastic. Yeah, I love talking about grading and assessment, so I'm excited to be here. Okay, so this first shift in the book, Learn by Doing, that we'll talk about is moving from infrequent summative assessments to a model of frequent common formative assessments. So what are your thoughts on this shift and maybe what does it look like for teachers and what kind of benefit will it provide in terms of student learning? Well, I think it falls in line with the shifts in the district that we want instruction to be based on learning, not just teaching. So when we move away from that summative assessment, which is the end of the unit test, maybe an exam, um, basically some celebrities that we call in um, the PLC process might consider that as an autopsy. So it's like it's too late to actually intervene. And if we're really based on what we want students are able to do and what we want them to learn, that frequent common formative assessment gives us that snapshot. Can be daily, could be within the class. Um, so the frequency, depending on the teacher's expertise, um, and then how do we break students up maybe for our acceleration period, mm-hmm. um, will determine a lot around those common formative assessments. So we'll talk a lot, I think, a little bit more about that, especially when we get in teams. If I'm on a fourth grade team, we need to make sure that we're sharing what we feel is what students in fourth grade need to know if it's ELA, math, or whatever we're working toward. So I think um, within our district, we have some teams that are doing that at the moment, and I think we have others that are probably in the process of getting to that that point. So I, I think when I, when, I, when I think about common formative assessments and creating them, it puts, it puts the work of um, assessing on the teachers and really understanding what it is that students need to learn and 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 how what's the best way to assess that than having the teachers come up with the the questions that yeah i mean i think you know when we think it seems like every presentation that we start now and even through that you know ap leadership and principal leadership we say uh every student needs a great teacher not by chance but by design but yet if we don't meet collaboratively in teams to find out what's essential even within it doesn't matter if it's middle school high school or elementary if the three of us sitting in this room right now our practices as far as grading and assessment and learning are different each student's outcomes could end up being different right so i think we have to have the same expectation of what students should learn and be able to do Mm. i definitely think I, i love what you said about instruction being based on learning and not just on teachers teaching, right? And as we've worked so hard on providing interventions based on, you know, student by student, skill by skill, and what they specifically need at a given time, what better way to do it than to gather this data along the way and to have those frequent frequent common formative assessments, right? We need to know that real-time data, like you said, not autopsy data, 
down the road because that that chance for remediation has already expired on that skill. So we need to be able to intervene on the spot and have that information um, in order to be able to do so so that we can get students um, where they need to be. Yeah, and I think one of the shifts that is included in this teacher from the teacher level um, we still base a lot of our information on what the students didn't get and and rather the shift should be what didn't I teach sometimes right we I think um, you know if we all if we all give an assessment and kids do, don't do well a lot of times I think well the students didn't learn it but a lot of times if, it, if I get in that old well I taught it they didn't learn it mentality it should be the learning should be the primary goal right um, and then if they didn't learn it what do I need to do what shift do I need to make as a teacher so that this, every student doesn't leave my class or this unit, this section, this skill, this standard until they do get it? So I think that's why we talk about what's essential, always going back to those essential standards as well. And what's the purpose for learning t- for the day? Right. So that was question one. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. Yeah, this is easy, right? This <laughs> yeah. is fun. Right. Um, Stay so, with us, group. Yeah. This is good stuff. <laughs> So the next shift says we need to use assessment to identify students who need additional time and support rather than to determine which students didn't meet the deadline to learn. Yeah, I think that go, you're right. That goes along with that question number one. And, and don't get me wrong, uh, coming up with common formative assessments as a team does take time because I think we have to hash out what is essential in the learning that is so important. And then I think later on we'll touch on um, – in old terminology, we might use scale, but it is, if you look at the DOK, like what what types of questions am I asking? Um, so we definitely want to make sure that we identify students along the way. Um, and is it after the fact? Um, so if I am giving, um, and it could be an exit ticket, could be something do I, that I'm doing during the day um, to find out how do I break up my small groups? Where does Rob go as far as acceleration or intervention go? Um, where does Lane go? And it just it gives that teacher that snapshot in real time. How can I repair where their learning breakdown occurred um, so that that student can be successful on that skill or standard? Right. So the common form of assessments, the learning targets we we assess, essentially, kind of design your intervention for your school. I yeah, would, or, yeah. I mean, I think it goes down to that purpose or learning target. Like, what was the essential learning for the day? Um, and I know sometimes that might be an overarching um, standard that I'm getting to, but I also I teach skills that build upon which another stack to get to that that learning target. That was brilliantly said. Well, what do you think? What Where is your head right now after the conversation we're having? What are you thinking? Well, I mean, I was just, I was going to, I was thinking back to even my own journey as a principal, like one of my favorite quotes um, within just the learning that I've done in the PLC process is clar- clarity precedes competence, right? And this idea that the the more that we learn about the process, the, the better we will get through it. And um, I think when I first started and engaged in this work and our school really committed um, to it, we were going through the the cycle of the four questions in the process. And um, we really were trying to focus on questions three and four, but we hadn't um, 
really narrowed down our essential standards yet. So that work became a little overwhelming. Um, and it's, it was difficult because there's so much, there's so much that we're tasked with as, you know, as schools and teachers um, to teach students in any given year. So without truly identifying what is essential for the year, it was, it was um, almost, it felt impossible to stay on target with what we needed to provide to students. You know, we couldn't funnel it down um, fast enough in order to be able to offer those supports. So I think that was just a, like a personal learning experience for me going mm. through that journey um, with my school and something that looking back, I, I certainly wish I would have been able to do better had we been able to right away narrow down to those essential standards. I yeah. think it just provides that focus where, okay, we have now decided that these are the things we're going to we're going to teach everything. We're going to make sure that, you know, um, those supporting standards are, are taught as well. But these essential items are the things that we're going to absolutely make sure that every student has an opportunity to receive intervention on and to um, and to master. Yeah. yeah. When you yeah. think about standards, but if I just ask a fourth grade teacher, what do they need to know to get to fifth grade? If it's math or ELA, I think sometimes that's the most important things. Then we can bat almost you work backwards saying right. what's important. Okay. What did we say they need to learn? And then what standards are those that would actually capture that learning? Right. So let's talk a little bit about how we might improve our assessments. Another of the shifts kind of speaks to relying much less on individual teacher assessments and, and to working in collaboration with our colleagues and team members to develop those common formative assessments. So what is the act of building a common formative assessment as a group do for an individual teacher? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we always say, you know, it's learning by doing, right? So me sitting in my collaborative team and, and identifying first what was essential or what should be the learning for the day or for the week, I think when I sit in that um, collaborative time, I add input. And I think, you know, even if we said, okay, here are, here are the skills, these are the questions I bring to the table, and we each bring questions that we think identify the learning that should take place, that's where the rich discussion happens. And I think even if, if we do that now, I, I think teachers are going to have a different idea of what understanding or what learning looks like. So I think that's at that point we do talk about, well, those lower level questions of just, um, you know, that knowledge base. But if we're trying to get to that synthesizing, analy analyzing an right. application, um, we have to have questions that actually attack those that level of learning on each assessment. And sometimes that's hard, too, because we don't have 20 or 30 questions if it's just supposed to be a quick um, formative assessment. Yeah. Elaine, I think it speaks to what you said about clarity precedes competence. When you get together with your your team and you discuss, you know, what the learning is that um, you really want your students to have, you get clarity as an individual teacher when you go into the class to teach it. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to work backwards. I think sometimes we have to have those assessments built in first because I've sat in third grade planning that we talk about, hey, what are we going to do? Um, and we all feel like they're clear, but then when you walk those classrooms, it's three different interpretations or five, depending on how many are on that grade level team, that the learning outcome's different for kids right. based on their interpretation of what they discussed. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're clear when we walk out with a formative assessment or at least um, questions that um, answer or to meet the level of learning when we leave, at least then the learning outcomes for every fifth grade 
a student should be the same. Right. One of the one of the core elements um, in this PLC process is the focus on learning, right? And I think we naturally go towards like the we want to see the focus on student learning and the student results. But there's also this, um, and maybe I can't help myself because I'm the PD director. But there's also this emphasis on um, the focus on learning for the adults in the room. And I think that um, this this is a great opportunity for the adults to learn from each other right there's a saying like the smartest person in the room is the room so when we're all sharing um it's what a what a wonderful time for these educators to learn from each other i mean imagine a team where you have these professional colleagues together and and someone you have a a veteran and then you you have a newer teacher who comes with new ideas but also um, is trying things out for the very first time. So, so maybe um, you know, you think about the the give and take there of how can we complement the experience with also the new ideas and be able to work through those pieces. So, I just um, I think there's naturally a great opportunity for teachers to learn from each other within um, the building of these these common assessments and grow the capacity of the team through the this work. Yeah. So this last question um, is about a shift in being willing to move away from focusing on average assessment scores as our determining factor for whether our students are learning. Instead, we need to be using assessments to help us monitor our students' proficiency of every essential skill. With your knowledge of grading practices, what are your thoughts on this idea and how how can this shift impact our teaching practices? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge question when it comes to um, and it's the way of the work. It's the what we've always done. And I think we teach differently now. So I think we have to do things differently. Right. Kids learn it maybe the same ways as, you know, before. But the way we teach is entirely different. We're asking for kids to have conversation. They're not learning in isolation. It should be through a collaborative um, opportunity for kids to have thought conversation um, and that learning takes place within those conversations so when I take a, an assessment and I average grades throughout the quarter or the nine weeks um, it doesn't really identify what learning took place if I scored a 50 on um, isosceles and uh, 60 degree uh, triangles or if I took an assessment on triangles and I received a 50 percent um, but later the next week, we moved into parabolas, and I scored 100%. And I averaged the two together. The learning that goes in the grade book is 75%, and that's what's you know shown to parents. Or that's kind of that, you know, I got a 75, which is in our current grading system, a C. But in reality, I don't know anything about 60-degree or triangles at a 50%. I only know half that information. So it really gives us a false sense of what I do know and what I don't know. Mm. Um, and there would be a huge shift in our grading practices when you think of the 100-point scale. And I've definitely done some work with schools, and I know we have some schools that have moved away from that 100-point score, even though we do still assign a letter grade, but maybe going to either – you know, that three, four, five point scale. Mm-hmm. Anytime I can decrease the number of intervals, I get closer to what maybe that true learning is around. When you think of a hundred different intervals of grading, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of um, opportunity for teachers to put um not concrete evidence based on a learning. There is some subjective um, things. And then I always look at, um, 
you know, how much of grades are based on behaviors and not learning mm. um, as well. So we've really pushed and I know I've had an opportunity to speak with, you know, I'm mean, at least probably at the halfway mark in all the schools talking about grading practices. And I know I've been able to uh, do that presentation in front of principals and leaders as well. But just to be able to push their thinking on what is important and then at least can we maybe, I, and I'm not sure how, unless we tackle the whole project about grading, how do you get away from averaging? But I think when you put it in the context of what should be learned and we average them together, the outcome is completely different. Um, so that explanation or evidence of a grade at the end of the quarter really doesn't capture what I learned along the way. And I think, I think for me, this also goes back to the importance there of identifying those essential standards, right? If we're able to do that work, then we have something to focus on and to lean into and say, okay, these are the things that we're considering essential so that if students are not understanding it, we're going to, going to go ahead and intervene and we're giving them that continued opportunity, um, like you said, uh, to, to really go back and, you know, retake an assessment. Like, um, Jake, you shared the proficiency of every essential skill, right? That and that timeline can can be fluid. It doesn't have to happen on October twenty first. Right. Here's the here's the the due date. Here's the date that that we have to know it by, right? Um, learning is fluid. So as we we know better, we do better. And I think um, I, I think one of the steps that has helped us in this area is really being able to identify those essential those essential learnings. Yeah. And Gusky says that same thing. He says, if students demonstrate that past assessment results no longer accurately reflect the learning, then that information must be discarded and replaced with new information. So it's like when I I do get frustrated about that we're supposed to learn something by Friday or by Wednesday, but if I learn it later on, I should have that flexibility to go back as a teacher to change that grade. Because if it is, again, about learning, not just that deadline, I think is important. Uh, You know, one of my favorite, um, you know, I think of this as kind of in that second presentation that I do on grading. Uh, I put this quote up by Stiggins and it says, uh, you can enhance or destroy students' desire to succeed in school more quickly and permanently through your use of assessment than with any other tools you have at your disposal. Hmm. Uh, Because I do think grades and assessment take hope joy, um, and just that maybe doubt or, you know, can I still be successful? Like students right now going into the end of the year, if I need to get a hundred on the final exam to pass the class that goes back to the averaging, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's fearful. Kids quit and give up, I think. So when we talk about lack of motivation, lack of desire, or they're just have, you know, they're apathetic toward learning. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. Sometimes I think we have to look inward at ourselves and saying, am I giving students hope to be successful? And I think assessment is a a great uh, place to start. Well, we've reached the end of the episode for today. Uh, This was a great conversation, Rob. Thank you so much for being here today. Right. Uh, Yeah, I just... Is this a 30-minute thing? No, I'm just kidding. No, this, <laughs> this is great. I No, I appreciate the conversation. I definitely want to continue the conversation. I want to push, uh, you know, teachers, leaders, uh, parents thinking um, on the shifts when it comes to assessment. What can we do in our practice to actually focus on learning and, and, and eliminate that timetable um, of you have to learn it by this deadline or you can't learn it? 
Right. And, you know, going back to Lane's comment about what's essential, like, well, if it's that important, it wouldn't matter as long as I get it. That should be the most powerful aspect of it is that learning. Thanks for uh, including me in the conversation. And I hope that we get uh, opportunities to continue this uh, the conversation about assessments and grading. Mm-hmm.